Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, I want to welcome you to Foothills. Um, If I haven't met you, my name is Greg. I am one of the pastors. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Foothills Church, and I want to say Welcome to all of us here in this room and those who are watching online, and especially also I want to give it up for our Pendleton campus. Can we say hello to them this morning? How are you guys doing? I got the opportunity to be there last week, and I got to tell you, we launched officially last week, first Sunday in Pendleton. It was incredible. I'm so proud of Pastor Joseph and the rest of the crew there. Uh, over 200 people attended that service. It was awesome. It was really good. So welcome. I can't wait to hear what God does over there at um, I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm guessing you're probably like me. I get real easily distracted. Do you? Anybody else do that? I, get, like, like, I find myself, sometimes I'm, I'm researching something or I'm going online to do something. You have to go to YouTube to, to look for some information. And the next thing I know, it's like an hour and a half later. I don't know what the time's been. I've been down some rabbit hole, and I've watched like a million fail army videos. Anybody been there? Like, I don't know what, what happens. I think it's kind of human nature that we get distracted, we forget what we're supposed to be doing, we, we don't keep the main thing the main thing, and next thing we know, we're drifting away a little bit. Um, we just forget, right, why we're doing it, what we're doing. It kind of reminds me of that story of that elderly couple. They were getting to that point in their life where they were getting a little forgetful, and uh, so they were concerned. So they went to the doctor, and uh, they said, doctor, you know, we're having these memory problems. The doctor said, that's, that's normal at your age. Here's what you should probably do. Just, just take notes. So you don't forget things. And so that, that, they went home. And that night, they're laying in bed watching TV. And the husband said, I'm going to go downstairs to get a drink of water. And the wife said, while you're down there, would you mind getting me a bowl of ice cream? And he said, no problem. And she said, maybe you should write that down. And he said, I'm not going to forget. You want a bowl of ice cream? Not a big deal. And she said, OK. She said, by the way, would you mind putting some whipped cream on top? And he said, OK, no, no problem. She said, you better write it down. He said, I don't need to write it down. I know what you want. And she said, well, would you mind putting a cherry on top? And he said, okay, I got it. She said, honey, you probably should write this down so you don't forget. He said, I'm not going to forget. You want a bowl of ice cream? You want whipped cream on top? You want a cherry on top of that? He said, yeah, that's that's what we want. So anyway, he goes downstairs. He doesn't come back for 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, he shows up. He's got a plate of bacon and eggs. He gives it to her. She said, I told you you should have wrote it down. How could you forget my toast? You know, like, you ever have that problem? You know, I, I may have told that joke before. I don't remember. Okay, I'm just saying that. I don't remember. But it's not just when we get older we forget what we're supposed to be doing. I, it happens with young people, too. I remember taking my, my uh, granddaughter fishing one time. And we stopped at the bait store, and we got a little cup of night crawlers. And so I got her all rigged up and threw her line out in the water and I went and got doing something in the tackle box. I look over there, the pole's on the ground, and she is playing with the worms. And I'm like, what are you doing? She says, I'm fishing. I said, you're not fishing. You're playing with the worms. You're no longer doing what you came here to do. You've forgotten what this is all about. You're no longer keeping the main thing the main thing. And I think this is human nature. It happens in churches all the time. Where we really forget what our purpose is and what we're about and what we should be doing and why we're doing it. 
We're, today we're going to continue this series that Pastor Kevin kicked it off last week called Fine Lines. You know, that tension between sometimes what's right, what's, what's wrong, and there's this fine line we walk many times. And today we're going to look at a fine line that many people, I think, struggle with. And it's the fine line between going to church and being the church. Between going to church and being the church. And it sounds like maybe that's just semantics, but I'm telling you, it's bigger than that. It's not just semantics. It's something much deeper than that. And I believe that the Bible teaches from cover to cover that we need to be part of this thing that God is doing across the world called the church. And what we're going to look at today is the characteristics. This is kind of like grade yourself, kind of do a little pop quiz here today and kind of see where you are. Because some of us are just going to church and we're not really have become the church yet. But that's a next step for some people. I want to show you the differentiation between those two things. And I want to give you three characteristics. Now, there's probably 25, 50 of them. I don't know. But I came up with three because I didn't think you wanted to sit through 50 of them. So I'm going to give you three characteristics of what I believe are the distinction between going to church and being the church. So if you're take, taking notes or you're checking it out online, the notes are there for you on the U version. Uh, but, but let me just give you the first one. Just, and again, you just kind of think about this in your own heart and, and where you are in this thing. But the first characteristic if you know, to know that you're kind of being the church as opposed to going to church is that there's ownership. Ownership. Now, let me just say this right away, okay? That when I say ownership, let's just be clear. Jesus is the owner of all of this stuff, okay? This, this is Jesus, Jesus is the owner of the church. It doesn't, you know, not the pastor, not the deacons, not the congregation. It doesn't matter whose deed, name is on the deed of the building. It, Jesus is the owner. So we'll just establish that. But now what I'm talking about when I say ownership, I'm talking about responsibility. Because there's a difference between owning something and renting something or borrowing something. Would you agree with that? There's a difference between when you own it and when you're renting it or, or, or just it's on loan to you. Like if you go on a trip and it's too far to drive, so you take a flight, and then when you get there, you get the rental car. Now, it's not your car, and so you, hopefully you treat it good because as believers, we ought to do the best we can with just because we, you know, we don't own it. We don't just rag it out. But if I'm driving a rental car and the check engine light comes on or it breaks down on the side of the road, I call 1-800-RENTAL-CAR, and I say, hey, you got a problem with your car you got to fix this. You need to give me another car. Now, if I didn't cause the problem, because if I did, then I'd be responsible. But, but I don't have any further issues with that. They just give me a different car. They, they deal with that. Because they own it, I'm just renting it. I don't have the responsibility that they have. It's like when we first started Foothills Church here in Seneca, five and a half years, we met at Seneca High School. Every week coming in, setting up, tearing down, five and a half years of that. But there are many times what we've found out is, you know, it's a school. It gets used a lot more than just us on Sunday morning. And so uh, many times something would break. No fault of ours, but something would break, just wear and tear, normal things that happen. And sometimes it'd be like the air conditioner or whatever. And I would go to the custodian who was there on, on, when we were there. His name was Travis. And I'd say, hey, Travis, you got a problem with your air conditioning system. And they would take care of it. And we rent it. It wasn't our responsibility. I found out later, five and a half years, when we moved in our own building, air conditioning units are very expensive. When you own it, there's responsibility. We've had to play, pay for many of those kind of things and now that we own the building. Now, Pendleton Campus, you, you feel what I'm saying, right? Because they're setting up, it was 
25 degrees this morning or something like that. They're up there at 6.30 in the morning. They're setting up the stuff. They're going to be tearing stuff down. And man, I applaud you guys for that. But at the end of the day, because it's a rental facility, the ultimate responsibility for that facility is not yours. It's, it's the schools. And we rent it. And the same thing with borrowing. When I borrow something, I don't have the same responsibilities if I owned it. It's like, what's a baby? Like if somebody had a baby and, they, and I look at it, oh, that's, that's, that's a cute baby, which is something I usually never say. But it's a cute baby because to me, no, I won't go there because I always get in trouble. Every time I talk about bad about babies. Okay, so I get this baby. I'm like, this is a cute baby. And then I'm holding it, right? And then it's, it starts to cry. Or worse yet, you, you get that, that, that smell. You know what I'm saying? Like the smell of death. Right, you, you, you smell it, that diaper gets a little dirty, and, and you're like, uh, you take it. It's not mine. You take them. Because it's not your responsibility, and the parent doesn't have that option, right? It's like, I got to change the diaper. They got to calm the child down because it's their responsibility because they own the child. That's what's great about being a grandparent. It's like you just borrowing that kid. Hey, you change the diaper. I don't have to do that. But let me tell you something. When it comes to the church, this whole idea of responsibility, there's this threshold that you get to from going to church and being the church. There's a threshold. There's a fine line that takes place, and, and there's a tipping point somewhere in this thing. Like You go from, like, I'm attending that church. I'm going to that church to, like, I'm in. Like, I'm part of it. I'm being the church. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of this family. And there's this threshold, and this tipping point happens, and I don't know how it happens or when it happens. It happens differently for everybody, but you know when it does. It's like it, I, my terminology even changes. Instead of saying, I go to that church, it's like, this is my church. And let me tell you something. Responsibility comes along with that, but it's awesome. Like when, when you become part of the church and not just going to church, even though there's maybe some more responsibility, exponentially your experience is better when you're actually part of it, when you move out of the stands and under the playing, under the field, man, it's better. So I want to encourage you, if you're just kind of just going to church, taking that step, going the next step and saying, I want to be part of the church. Now, let me give you some scripture in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. It's family. So it's like you're part of this family. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became part of this huge family. Universally speaking, there's billions of Christians across the world. You're part of that family. But then there's this local expression of that family all over the place, like these, these, these hubs, this Fidel's family, Fidel's Seneca, Fidel's Pendleton family, one church, multiple locations. And so when you're part of a family, what you know is that there's responsibility for everyone. It just goes with the territory. You're part of the family. Someone's got to cook. Someone's got to clean. Someone has to do the, take out the trash, cut the grass, sweep, vacuum. Generally, that's all the woman, right, that's doing that. That's, that's mom's job. But, but no, everybody should be doing something, pitching in, doing something. We have responsibility. Same thing with the church. Like everybody has a role, part of the family. And the Bible also talks about all of us as church members are, 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 are like part of a human body. We all have different functions. Different parts of the body have different functions, but we're all part of the same body. 
In Acts chapter 2, we see that this church is, this is, what I'm going to read is when the early church, the first church began, what you see is this almost came very naturally to them. Like they, they're, they're, they, nobody in those days, let me tell you something, nobody went, just went to church back then. They were the church. Church to them wasn't a venue that you went to on Sunday morning. It wasn't a location. It was who they were because the church is not an organization. It's an organism. Now, from a legal standpoint, you're an organization. You have to file with the state and do those kind of things. But ultimately, the church is an organism. It's moving. It's dynamic. It's all-encompassing. And when we become part of the church, where we're actually taking the role of saying, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus now, and I am going to be the church, not just going to go to church. I'm not just going to be a consumer. I'm going to be a contributor. This was the way that they did it in the first church. Now, you've got to remember at this point, the church is, is, is brand new. And this, after in Acts chapter 1, the Holy, uh, you, you hear that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And then Acts chapter 2, that happens. And, 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 and then Peter gets up and he preaches his first sermon. And people are saved and lives are changed. But here's what happens right after that. Is this all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I want you to notice that word, all. All the believers. Everybody say All. All the believers, not some, not most, but all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's suppers, and to prayer. And all the believers say all, all, every one of them, not most, not some, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This was, a, this was a thing that they were. And I want you to notice the first characteristic is that there was ownership. They all did it. Like, we're all part of this family. We all have something to contribute here. We're all part of it. Some, you know, as you notice, it said some had need, and the ones that had gave to those in need. It was just kind of like, this is just what we do. This is who we are. And I think this is the way it should be. I know that sometimes we use terminology. I do it too. I got I to gotta admit, I do it all the time. Say, I'm going to church, right? Or someone says, what did you do yesterday? I went to church. I get it. I've said that. I'm not calling anybody out. I say that all the time. I'm going to church. But let's just face it. That's really not the right terminology. The right terminology should be this, that on Sunday morning, the church, right? Us, the people, church, get in their cars and drive to a building, some sort of facility. It could be a school it could be a nice building, uh, brick and mortar, whatever. The church drives to a building. They corporately worship the Savior Jesus together. And then they, the church gets back in their cars and they drive home. And then they, on Monday morning, the church gets out and lives the mission that we're called to live. That's the way it's supposed to be. But we just kind of have, have kind of just summarized it by saying, yeah, we're just going to church. But the Bible teaches that we need to be the church. Okay, so let me give you the second characteristic. And that's, and that's, again, if you're keeping score for yourself, just kind of think about this. Second characteristic is we're embracing and living out the mission. We're embracing and living out the mission. What I love about the church, and especially Foothills Church, is that we have this incredible demographic. Like everybody and anybody can come to Foothills and feel like they're part of it. And they do. We have people from every background that you can think of. 
We have people who, who when it comes to um, education, we have people with PhDs and we have people with GEDs and we have people that didn't even get a GED. We have people who are ultra wealthy and we have people that are struggling from week to week. We have people that are black and white and Asian and Hispanic. We have people who are from the North and people from the South. And we have people who are Republicans and people who are Democrats. We have toilet paper over and toilet paper under. We have like, uh, like okay. We like to say around here, we're, we're Mercedes to mopeds. That's what we are. Just like anything in between, that's us. And I love it because that's what heaven's going to look like. Like there's going to be great diversity. If you don't like diversity, you're not going to like heaven. It's not going to be a lot of people just look like you. It's going to be like everybody. And that's beautiful. God's collection. But you think about that for a second. We got this great diversity and it happens nowhere else, but in the church when it's working right, you get this great diversity and yet you have this great unity because there is just one focus, one purpose and one savior that we rally around and his name is Jesus. And all the other stuff really isn't that important because that becomes the focal point of everything we do. And when you think about what we're called to be, in Matthew 28, because when you're thinking, well, what is the mission? What is, how do I know if I'm living, embracing it and living it out? Well, the mission is clear because Jesus gave us the mission. In Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. You're thinking, man, that's, a, that's awesome. That's what we're needing. We're going out. We're making disciples. We, we kind of summarize that. We say our purpose, so in case you don't know it, at Pendleton, some of you may not know that, but if you've been here more than a week, you probably do. Our, our purpose, what we summarize that, is we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we do. But that's a huge mission. You think, how does that work? How does that happen? How in the world can we go and make disciples of all these nations? What do we do? Well, fortunately, we don't have to do it on our own. In Acts chapter 1-8, this is what I was talking about a second ago, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, Pendleton, right? Everywhere, right? We're going everywhere and the ends of the earth. Like this is a mission and we couldn't do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's power to do this. And when it's working, this is what's great about it. As I said a second ago, when the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. Peter, his first sermon, he's not even a preacher, preaches a sermon, 3,000, instant mega church. And they start meeting together, they're doing church, they're part of this family, they're, 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 they're taking on ownership, they're now embracing the mission, and it says, the Bible says that the Lord was adding to their number daily, those who were being saved, which means that they were getting out and sharing that with their friends. They were like, man, you're not going to believe what God did in my life. I gave my life to Jesus, and, and this is what's happened, and I want you to come and hear about it. And then people would hear about that, and then they would give their life to Jesus. And every, it, was just, it was just this movement. And I'm going to tell you something. I get so inspired. Every time we do baptism, we mentioned a second ago, we were doing baptism next week. I think we're going to be, I, I believe we're going to be doing it at Pendleton. That's what I've heard. 
So if you're in Pendleton and you haven't, you haven't taken that step, I'm going to tell you more about that in a second. Man, next week, here too. But I get so inspired when we do the baptisms is that people will come up and I hear the, sometimes the story, sometimes I don't hear the story, but the stories that I hear, generally it's because someone will, and, and a lot, many times they're friends who maybe they, they work with, led them to Jesus, and that friend will bring them to foothills, and that friend will be beside them, you know, outside the trough, the horse trough, as they're being baptized. The, the, because of their influence in that person's life. And this happens all the time. We see, we see parents who have influenced their children are baptizing their kids. We see kids influencing their parents and baptizing their parents. We see friends who have shared their faith with their friends give, and their friends give their life to Jesus and are followed through in baptism. It's awesome. That's when you know that you're being the church, when you have embraced that, you're living out that mission of making Jesus known throughout the world. Now, let me give you the third and final one that I came up with to know that if you're really being the church, and that is Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. When we live like we're supposed to live as a church, Jesus is over everything. We sang it a second ago, didn't we? Jesus over everything. He reigns forevermore. When we make Jesus Lord of everything, we put Jesus over everything, good things happen in our life. Have you noticed that? Think about some areas of your life where you said, finally, maybe you tried to do things in your own strength and it didn't work out so well, and then you put Jesus over that and all of a sudden it worked out pretty good. You know why? Because Jesus can do it better than you. Right? Wow, newsflash. Jesus can do it better than you. So I need, what I need to do is put Jesus over everything in my life. That's a sign that I'm being the church. Your marriage, you're struggling in your marriage, put Jesus over your marriage. Your finances, you're struggling in your finance, put Jesus over your finance. You're struggling in your schoolwork, put Jesus over your schoolwork. Still do your homework, but put Jesus over your... Whatever area of your life you want to see blessed, you put Jesus over it. Not because he's some magic charm, but because that's what you do when you're a follower of Jesus. You, you set down your own agendas and your own plans, and you say, God, you take it all. And that's a sign that you're being the church. And churches are dying all over the place. Doors are shutting down. And it's easy to point to COVID, and I'm sure that was a big reason for many. But really the primary reason most churches, not, not some literally, because people couldn't meet any longer. But many churches are closing across this country. Not for those reasons, but for reasons that they have no longer put Jesus over everything. They have, then those churches have, have, have succumbed to compromise from moving away from the truth of God's word. See it all the time. They go with the word of man rather than the word of God. No longer Jesus is not over that. They move over, they put tradition ahead of Jesus in their churches, and they wonder why they're dying. Let me tell you something. Here's what I know. Is that this book contains a very dangerous message. It's dangerous in a sense that it will change your life radically. The message is that we're all sinners and that we need a savior. 
And we are unable to save ourselves no matter what we do. But God knew that, and he loved us enough to send a Savior, his own son, Jesus, who died on a cross and rose again. That message will change your life. But it's the message that saves. And the churches that are getting away from that and putting any other thing ahead of it is a problem. Because Jesus is over everything. And let me tell you something. When you move away from that central message, you got problems. In John 14, 6, Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said, the only way to get to God, the only way to get to the Father is through me. There is no other way. We, we have to understand, this is what this book teaches. And I know that a lot of people push back at that moment. They go, wait, wait a second. I heard on Oprah said that there are many roads that lead to heaven. Oprah's wrong. And anybody else who tells you that is wrong, because that's what, let's, let's see what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. And Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, great things happen. In Jesus' name, there's forgiveness, there's salvation, there's peace, there's joy, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's grace. It's the most wonderful name that there is, but it's the most controversial name there is. You could go and talk about any other religious leader and nobody's going to blink an eye. You can talk about Buddha and Krishna and and Muhammad, and no one will say anything. You can even talk about God generically, but the time you mention Jesus' name, people lose their minds. Because Jesus is totally, listen to this statement, Jesus is totally inclusive, but he's totally exclusive. Listen to me. He's totally inclusive. Everybody can come. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Totally inclusive, everybody, whoever, but he's exclusive, calls on the name of the Lord. Jesus is the only way. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever, inclusive, anyone, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whosoever, inclusive, believes in him, exclusive. Listen, you can't get away from that. That's the message of the gospel. And we, what we have to do is we go, man, I'm putting Jesus over everything. You know, when, when you make statements like this, I know that, again, it ruffles some feathers, but I'd rather be right in God's eyes than lead you astray to tell you anything else. And listen, even Jesus, many times when he would make these difficult statements, he would thin the crowds out. Because Jesus had a huge following. And you can imagine the spectacle of following Jesus and the show that he did. He didn't do it for those reasons, but for a lot of people, it was just a show. Man, let's go follow that guy. He can make food. He can just like take two, fi two fish and five loaves of bread and, and feed thousands. Let's follow him. He'll, he'll get us some food today. Oh, he's healing people today. Oh, he's raising people from the dead. Let's follow him. And then Jesus, because those crowds would swell, would almost like he was in 
pretending to thin them out would make some bodacious statement, radical statement about what it meant to be followers of his, not just going to church, but being the church. And he would say things like this. He'd say, hey, check this out. If you're going to follow me, you need to lay down your life, pick up your cross, and then follow me. You got to love me more than anybody else, including your own self. And people would walk away because they're like, dude, you raised the bar too high for me. I don't want to do that. One time after one of those difficult teachings, people started bailing again. And John 6, it's recorded what happens. It says at this point, many of his disciples turned away. Disciples, people who are supposedly the church. Many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you gonna, also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Listen, this is tough stuff. And as I say, the church is unique because it's an organism. But I want you to kind of get your head around what I said earlier. What The proper way of looking at this is the church, the, the, the body of believers, the people who have accepted Jesus. We are the church. Not any building. Jesus didn't die for brick and mortar. Didn't, didn't die for that. He died for what was in the building and went outside the building. It wasn't about buildings, about people. And so our attitude, our mentality has to be that same way that we say, okay, I'm going to take ownership. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to be part of this thing. I'm not just going to kind of come and go. And I'm going to, I'm going to plug in. I'm going to go to those groups. I'm going to serve someone. I'm going to do something. Then we have to say, you know what? I'm going to embrace that mission. of telling my friends about this because that's what I'm called to do. That's what, that's what Jesus told me I need to do. So that's what I'm going to do. And then I got to put Jesus over everything. Like he's, he's that great. I just need everything. And that's, it's hard to do sometimes. But that's what, that's what he's calling us to do as the church. Let me give you three things. Cause I, I, well, let me, I, mean, I wonder, I was thinking, how do I wrap this up? Like, cause we're all grading ourselves and we all might have a different answer. I'm hoping you, you said, scored yourself. Yes. hundred percent on, on that test for everything. Yeah. Like, wow. That's awesome. But maybe you're not there yet. Maybe some next steps. That's what I want to do. So I said, let me give us some next steps because everybody's in a different part of their journey, right? right? Some of us are just starting. Some of us are further down the road. But what is the next step for you? Because we all have a step. doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus for 95 years. You've got a step. So here's some steps. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You have some mental kind of knowledge about Jesus, and you can maybe even quote some verses, and maybe you go to church, but you've never placed your faith in Jesus. You don't know what would happen if you were to die today. You don't know where you'd spend eternity. Give your life to Jesus. Settle that issue. Commit your heart, your life to Jesus. That's your next step. But maybe you've done that, and you're thinking, well, what's my next step? Well, a next step, according to the Bible, is this thing called baptism which we're going to be celebrating next week. And I say celebrate, I, I'm using that word intentionally. This is a celebration. Next week, where you, it's, let me tell you what baptism is in a nutshell. I'll talk more about this next week. But baptism is a public demonstration of my faith in Christ. Like I, you can't see inside my heart, but when I take that step 
and I publicly get in that water and are baptized, I, what I'm saying is that I'm a follower of Jesus and I am on that mission. For some of you, you've given your life to Jesus, but you've never done that. Or maybe you, you, you did that, you were baptized as a, as a child or a teenager or whatever, but you were not a believer then and now you are. Well, the New Testament way to be baptized is after you believe, so you're, you're a candidate for baptism if that's your description. So baptism may be a next step. And I would encourage you next week, don't delay if that's for you, just Jesus over everything. Whatever you want, God, I'll do that. Next step for some of you is this thing we called next. This next gathering. And that's just simply something for people who maybe are brand new to church. Pendleton, like everybody's new there, so this is great for everybody there. But here, many of you are new, but, but even people have been here for a long time that really have never taken that step. You're still just kind of going to church and you really don't know what your church is about. You don't know the DNA. You don't know the heartbeat. You kind of think you do, but you haven't really been through something like that. The next is for you. One hour of your time. You get a free lunch and childcare. That's awesome, right? You get to meet all the staff. You get to find out ways you can get plugged in. Hear a little bit about the history of the church. I mean, just sign up, just go, show up. So that may be for you. And then finally, and this is for everybody, and that's what we can do between now and next week, and that is go out and make an impact in other people's lives. By the way we live and by the things that we say. And you know what would be a really good way to make an impact? Is to actually, maybe somebody at work, maybe somebody at, you know, where you go to the gym or whatever it is, make an invitation. Say, hey, would you come to church with me? I'll, I'll, I'll treat you to lunch after. Just come on to church with me. Bribery is okay. You know, it's all right. You can do that. <laughs> but it's part of that mission, right? We're just kind of just letting God use our lives. Because just like when church, when I become part of the church inside the walls, my experience is exponentially better. Outside the walls is exponentially better too. So I want to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to take whatever step that is for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Because you're an amazing God. And you deserve everything because Jesus is over everything. Whether we acknowledge it or not, he's over everything. But God, I pray that we would make him over everything in our lives. And Father, I'm praying for those people who have never really placed their faith in Christ. They don't really know where they would spend eternity if they were to die today. They'd like to know. They want to have that assurance. And you've promised that if we place our faith in you, that we can be sure of that. So God, through your Holy Spirit, I'm praying you're working all over this room in Pendleton, other places are watching online. I pray that, God, you are speaking to hearts right now. And if that describes you right now, maybe just offer a prayer like this as an expression of what's in your heart, say, Lord Jesus, I am giving you my life today. Thank you for your sacrifice for me, for dying for my sins. I need you, and I believe you're the only way, and I place my faith in you today. God, I pray for those who have maybe already done that, maybe just now, maybe sometime in the past, but have never followed through in believer's baptism. I pray that next week we'd have so many people that, we, that, we, that the, the, the floors would be soaking wet with people coming out of those horse troughs. I pray, God, for those people who need to go to next, who've maybe been, they've been around, maybe a short time, maybe a long time, never really done that. 
threatened to do it a lot of times, but never really showed up. And I pray that next week they would do that. But God sent all of us out here on mission because you're a great God and you're worth us bragging about. And I pray that as we go throughout our weeks that we are able to just touch someone's life through your Holy Spirit working in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.